0: Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and The Uncommon Good provided by Mercy College of Health Sciences. Learn more at mchs.edu. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Mar. Every week, diving deep into the truth
1: of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr. And we want to wish you, at least very soon, a merry pre-Christmas. You'll be listening to this right now, right before Christmas, depending on if you're listening to the Saturday or Sunday show. But either way, Bud, an intense <laughs> turnaround where we get the fourth Sunday of Advent and then immediately Christmas. And so just the way that we, of course, uh, have shifted now so that we have a weekend show, we're hoping that if you are listening to this, that we, we can give you an occasion to think about christmas maybe in a little bit of a different light maybe in a more focused or reflective one either way we want to say merry christmas and if you're one of the podcast listeners listening later it's you know christmas season for a while and so merry christmas and i hope that it's a reflective part of the new year but as we said this is the uncommon good Bo bonner here senior advisor for mission initiatives and director for the center for human flourishing over at mercy college of health sciences bud what do you do over there
0: So I'm a dean at that, at the college, at that college, at the college (laughs) in the heart of Des Moines, Mercy College of Health Sciences. But when you're talking about Christmas arriving, it's happening. I think about the Ron Paul gif. There's a gif for gif where he's kind of like shaking his hands hands, it's happening. Disco lights. But to show you how much of, like how much spiritual laziness I'm sometimes bothered by, I'm like, ah, we've made it to Christmas. And like you said, Christmas falls like the day after the third Sunday of Advent. So it's not like- Fourth Sunday. Yes, fourth Sunday. But what I mean is it's basically about three weeks of Advent Oh, that's true. Yes. You got the first Sunday, week one, week two, week three, and then Christmas. But I'm like, ah, we've journeyed so far (laughs) through such challenging
1: times. (laughs) Well, I was trying to tell my kids that this, well, first of all, I have to admit, it doesn't seem like it happens very much. And wouldn't it technically need to happen every seven? But then I know the leap year throws a, 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 a wrench into all of this. But I honestly don't remember the last time it did happen. Do you?
0: No, this felt like a very brief advent for me.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I I realize where things fall in the week, you know, mess with this. But then I have another problem, bud. When's the next leap year? (laughs) I don't keep track of these things.
0: I can't keep up with leap leap years. I want some scientists to, like, find a way just to make the calendar so it's uniform and we don't need them. (laughs) I don't think that's possible. I think it's built into the structure of the universe.
1: That's true. Well, because if you divide days like we do based on the sun you can't because like eventually you'll have december and it will be hot out That's and not lot, be son. not be global warming it'll <laughs> just be uh, because of how uh, things shift but oh maybe we should just have leap month every 10 years and then really disrupt things for people like throw off all you know seasons and everything like that so it's probably better the leap i'm just pointing out i never remember it
0: you know what else is exciting about seasons and time <laughs> what our students reached the end of the fall semester Heyo! so here at mercy college we just wrapped up another successful term
1: and it is a big leap right that some of them took oh that's really bad sorry uh, but uh, w- you know we had a pinning ceremony for our nurses a little while ago there are other programs i think that do get done um here so there's some of them of course that are graduating going off into their fields for a lot of people will of course see them back in january but it's very exciting and if you want to be a part of that excitement mchs.edu thank you mercy college for underwriting our show
0: a great christmas gift that you could offer yourself or someone else is to study medicine
1: there's a lot of tease in that so i understand why like that a great christmas gift
0: i was going to say like a gift certificate for tuition but i don't think that's part of i don't what think we, do.
1: we are given the authority
0: to do that <laughs> as you've as you've seen as you've heard from the start of the show though we are on the cusp of celebrating Christmas. So, today on the show, we want to talk about Christmas, specifically about the doctrine of the incarnation that the Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us. So, we'll see where this goes, Bo. Trying to unpack some of the significance of Christmas. I think there's a lot to unpack.
1: Yeah. And I, I really do think that reflecting on what we've really dwelt on these last few months with John Henry Newman, the incarnation plays a massive role. So, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be beyond easy i think to say uh, things about christmas that i hope can help people really delve into the holiday so this is the uncommon good bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Mar stick around we'll be back right after this back with the uncommon good Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Mar joining you this week thank you for listening to the show and if you're listening to this you are right on the cusp of christmas and so but I think it makes sense that that's what we're going to talk about today, the mystery of the incarnation, how it is that these last days of advent hopefully have prepared us to celebrate on Monday coming of our king clothed not only in the swaddling clothes of the manger, but clothed in our humanity and weakness and all that that means.
0: Yeah, it's I'm really always touched at Christmas time by the stillness and silence of everything. And I know in our culture especially with the jingles we sing that we can sentimentalize that. But it still is profound that God, when he came to us and came near to us, it was in a castaway city or town, so to speak. You know, we sing songs like A Little Town of Bethlehem. And it really captures the mystery of the fact that as the world was about its frenetic pace, that God came close. And, you know, many of the, well, most of the powerful and the wealthy missed out on that. The first heralds of the good news were... Shepherds, uh, lowly shepherds, and then later, you know, wise men from afar. So the wise men, they had great gifts to bring and maybe were in a different status in life, but they were also from a faraway land and were perceptive to God's revelation. And so I think in our in our day and time when the world is maybe more frenetic than it has ever been, and I don't want to slip into fuddy dud old man, mm. but you know, so much of life is noise and speed, even on the drive to to the show today. My blood pressure was raised by a few decisions by other drivers.
1: (laughs) That was their Christmas gift.
0: Yes. So I'm ready. I'm ready for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And the great thing this year is that we do celebrate mass twice in 48 hours. So two opportunities, special opportunities to experience God's closeness to us in the blessed sacrament of the altar.
1: I don't know who I'm ripping this off from, but I'm sure it's someone great. One of the hymns or one of the settings of mass for why we celebrate uh, Midnight Mass. And I, I love the parallelism, but that the two most important feasts in the Christian calendar both have Midnight Masses to celebrate the mysteries that occurred in the night. So, of course, we think of Easter. When, when did our Lord resurrect in the middle of the night? That's one of the mysteries left to us. But then also, of course, Christ being born in the middle of the night, at least by tradition. Someone said the, the king of the universe wore the darkness of that night, like his like his swaddling blanket. And the poetry of that, right, that on one hand, the Lord of the universe who is all things, almighty, eternal, and infinite, not only was clothed in human skin and then clothed in a blanket, but clothed in darkness precisely so that the, the great of the world or the close, right, the people who should have seen it, were had it obscured, And so there's beyond the fact that that's just a mystery that we could pause and say nothing else for the rest of uh, the show. It would be weird radio, but like, you know, we could think about it that whole time. I think it's important for us to go sometimes why it seems like Christmas isn't as spiritual for us Christians as it seems like it could be. Mm. Part of this is it might be that we're veiled in comforts and things like this. And I'm with you. I don't want to belabor the fuddy-duddy part, especially since like, who am I to talk (laughs) with all the stuff I have But I mean, it's the reason it comes up every year is it's legitimate enough. Is all the stuff we have obscuring the the reason for the season? Yes, okay. Mm -hmm. But I actually think part of it is the sort of closeness of it. I think your point about the wise men having enough distance to see what those up close couldn't, the ones that had all the prophecy, right, to show this missed it. And I think that's instructive for us that if we're not, it's not even feeling the Catholic, uh, the, the Christmas spirit, bud. It's if we're not seeing it, it might be so close to us. And I don't know, if, I'm not trying to say, so drive to Canada and look back uh, on, you know, on a camera at your Christmas tree. But just to think that there's reasons why this season also has a lot of memories, like people bring up people who are no longer with us, situations that are different. There is a way that having distance in some way, allows us to see the star that points. And again, I don't know the sort of astrogeography of the day of Christmas, but you can think about that if there's a star, so to speak, overhead Bethlehem, most people wouldn't notice it. But the Babylonians, who maybe that's what the wise men were, from afar saw this strange astronomical event, and it brought them there. The reason this is also just, this is not just like advice, This is sort of the theology of the Gentiles being brought into the story of Israel and Jesus. And so that does have spiritual resonance that we need to think of that sometimes people who get Christmas best are like sinners who are far away from the church. And so they can see the light of the star as it were. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that.
0: I think building on your point, I encourage our listeners to really sit with Christmas this year and maybe take it a little slower there's so much depth and richness there. And sometimes I know in my own mind, I can approach Christmas as a brute historical fact. <laughs> and so you're like, well, God became man at this specific time. And that's the beginning and end of it. You know, as a Catholic, I really appreciate getting into the history of Catholic exegesis of sacred scripture. And growing up, you know, growing up evangelical Protestant in Sunday school, a lot of the parts of the Bible were sort of morality tales. Like, The story of David slaying Goliath. It was, well, we're supposed to be courageous and trust God.
1: And that's how you win football games.
0: (laughs) That's right. Not many (laughs) these days, but in the nineties. So be courageous and trust God, which is true, of course. And that's a nice thing for a kid to learn. But when you dive into scripture and you start to see some of the details hang together, it really is quite amazing. So you think about something like you know, Christ is born in Bethlehem. The, the etymology there is that it's the house of bread. And so Jesus is the bread of life. And he comes to us. And even at his birth, we begin to see a foreshadowing or a precursor to the truth that he teaches about the Eucharist. Our Lady is a new Ark of the Covenant. So go back to the Old Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, after humanity had sinned and God called a special people to himself, he commanded them to build a tabernacle, later a temple. And in that setup, so the temple was a great gift to the people of Israel, of course, and it was a way in which they could offer sacrifice and draw close to God. But in the temple structure, there was a sort of mediation and kind of like barriers or levels of closeness to God. And so the temple proper, only Levites or the Levitical priesthood would enter that building. And then at the very center of that building, there's the holiest place or the holy of holies. And only the high priest, one day a year, would enter that space after undergoing a series of complicated ablutions, like ritual washings. Right, that was a place where God's presence dwelt in a special manner. They said the glory of God, the in Hebrew the kavon, the the weight of God, dwelt in that space. Obviously, our God is everywhere. He's you know he he he's not confined by space, but he chooses um, by his providence to draw close to us in special manners. Just
1: real quick. That's the, the, well, the the metaphor for this, that it's not perfect, but there's water in the air at all times, but then there's also water in a lake. Yeah. So this is where like God can be everywhere, but God can also be, like you said, the weight of God's presence be in a special place. Okay. Yeah. So his,
0: his cabot, his glory is in the holiest place. And in the Holy of holies, there were different religious items, but one of them is the Ark of the covenant. And it's this sacred box laden with gold, two cherubim carved into the structure. And inside of it, I'm probably going to blank now since I brought it up on the show, but like there was Aaron's staff. Mm -hmm. There was manna. Yes. Which was this miraculous bread that sustained the Israelites in the desert, the tablet of the law, the tablet of the law, the the deck log or 10 commandments tablets. Yeah. Tablets. So part of what's in the Ark of the covenant is this sacred bread, the manna. Well, Christ when he, in John six, when he teaches about the Eucharist, he says, God provided this for your ancestors in the desert and they still died. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will live forever. And so if Jesus Christ is the bread of life. Our lady in whose womb he dwelt is that new ark of the covenant. And those sorts of things, they're not simply kind of like, you don't learn these things so you can win Bible trivia or something. This reveals to us the texture and the richness of God's incarnation and the special revelation that he gave us in jesus christ
1: and to connect this back to what we've been talking about so much this fall and into winter that i think is somewhat of the basis for the threefold office of jesus right that like those three items were in the ark of the covenant so jesus himself in mary as the new ark of the covenant
0: i've never connected those things but that's true aaron is priest the law would be
1: i think king and then the Eucharist would be sort of like the prophetic future. I, look, I'm just...
0: Well, Mayor, I, I know Moses is seen as like the first and greatest of the prophets. So yeah, maybe yeah I think it's all there. The kingship is probably the hardest to right. connect, but... The I, point is, there's something. always three things. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. So uh, maybe maybe we're just showing like uh, what, what it means to be... Uh, after all these years, bud, uh, being Catholic, anytime Jesus and three things, I'm like, maybe it's a threefold office. <laughs> if I'm wrong, and that's not one of the sort of standard typologies... Oh, I'll write a book. No, I'm kidding. Um, but to your point, to think about this, I, to bring that home about the house of bread and the manger, of course, um, anybody knows French manger is not things you put baby in, it's uh, things that food belong in mm. to mange, which sounds like a way cooler way to eat. I'll give that to the French. <laughs> but like you said, not only the connection with the Eucharist, so, you know, like you said, forecasting, as it were, but what does it mean? In a season where we're being fed more carbs, I mean, weaponized carbs, bud. Uh, I don't see how anyone doesn't <laughs> gain weight during this season. What does it mean to be fed by the son of God in his incarnation as a lowly child, putting his entire being on this earth in the hands of others? What does it mean in this season to be fed that way?
0: Well, I love the fact that Christmas even moves and inspires Protestants in a unique way. So Rachel and I, my wife, we've talked about this, like driving through neighborhoods and by churches this time of year. And, you know, there are some Bible Christians and others who are very averse to any images within sacred spaces. And they probably don't talk about sacred spaces either. Mm. But this time of year, you know, the Protestant churches, they'll break out the nativity scenes. That's right. And we like to call statues. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And I, you know, I'm not... As huge of a fan of hymnody, I grew up with it. I preference, I have a preference for chant at mass, but you know, there's some beautiful old hymns. And really when I sing those old hymns or when I remember them, the Christmas season is resplendent with just amazing hymnity. And you talk about the depth of some lyrics, I think Christmas takes the cake. And so for me, this all I, I am trying to make a point here, not just wax, you know, sort of like eloquent and nostalgic <laughs> about the hymns that I grew up with. But you know, sometimes we've we've talked on the show, there's this kind of apologetic that's used against us, and it has to do with the majesty of the churches that we built, or the art that that, that the church kind of safeguards and you could say owns in a way. And you have these conversations, like there's so much poverty and suffering in the world, why would the Catholic Church build St. Peter's, or whatever it happens to be, you know, the Basilica of St. John here in Des Moines, these beautiful churches, sometimes taking like massive investments. Well... You know, it's tough sometimes to get to, these, to the heart of the matter, but I, I tell my Protestant relatives and friends that, you know, once you recognize that our Lord dwells sacramentally in our churches, you begin to understand why Catholics have been so, uh, what word am Extra! I <laughs> About building amazing structures. And once you recognize that truth of sacramentality, it makes sense why worship would be characterized by majesty and solemnity why the vestments are there, why there's an altar, on and on. At Christmas time, I think Protestants maybe unbeknowingly like they kind of they kind of recognize this fact because Christmas revolves around the mystery of an incarnation, and so all of a sudden their songwriters and you know their decorators are caught up in the season and they start to have this kind of they start to approximate towards what Catholics do on a regular basis. No,
1: I really love this point, and now I'm gonna go around, I realize, and every time I see like Protestant depictions of the nativity, I'll be like, that's a wonderful icon. Or (laughs) if I wanted to be really a Turkey, I'd be like, these are beautiful graven images.
0: I'm trying to think of the council that said, like that was against.
1: Yeah. The anti iconoclast council. Iconoclast. Yeah. So this is the ninth century. This is what makes the East um, against. Let me back up. The East still is a little more worried, uh, very much more worried about statues than we are. We can talk about that later, but no, this is because of the influence of, Islam, some of the people, especially in the Eastern Church, were even worried about depicting Jesus in icons. And was this, this wasn't Gregory of Palamas, was it? You're you're looking. probably a little bit later. Yeah. So the council that won the day said, because Jesus Christ himself came in the flesh as an icon of the, you know, the eternal spiritual God, we therefore can write or what we would call paint or depict Jesus precisely because him coming To life as this child and and being able to be seen and and looked at and, you know, our senses interact with, of course, we should be able to do that then in our art to depict him.
0: Because I, at Christmas time or something, I kind of want to be like, oh, so your church has come around to the second council of Constantinople. That's what it is. (laughs) 843, you've really been digging into church history. I like it.
1: Well, um, (laughs) I like this idea, though, and I've never, I mean, I have heard, right, that this general idea that many Protestants and it, uh, I didn't mean for like Christmas to be a bagging on Protestants. No. I'm actually, yeah. I actually think this is drawing out a thread about how really there's a starting place to talk about this. I've of course heard people go, well, Protestants sort of, get, you know, they they pick and choose about what aspects of Catholicism they're comfortable with and they're not. And, you know, we've pointed out, you know, many evangelicals that I grew up with basically had a liturgy. They had similar prayers, even if yeah. they were implied. Okay. Your point, though, is very interesting that around Christmas, the incarnation, so to speak, weighs so heavily on all of us that they can't help but sort of be more Catholic around Christmas. I actually think that's a great point and sort of a reconciliatory point that we should go, look, your sort of exuberance that you show at Christmas, we just kind of think you should do that all year.
0: (laughs) That's right. And in highlighting the majesty of our Lord and talking about all the ways in which we honor his glory. I think we also need to come back to his lowliness and humility. We can overplay this fact. Again, the tough part to Christmas, like the kind of line that we're trying to walk is not varying into sentimentality. You know, It's sort of like the babe in a manger. There's a way we go about that. I see a similar kind of vibe sometimes at baptisms where it's like, oh, it's a cute baby. And that's sort of what's what's moving. We need to remember the fact that God, when he did come to humanity when he, when he dwelt in the flesh, that he came precisely in this manner and that the glory of our Lord and his humility were fused in a way, and they're not in tension with each other. There's also, again, mentioning sentimentality. I've seen this artistic depiction that I'm not like a huge fan of because just because of the aesthetics of it, but it does capture a certain point where you have the star shining into the manger scene at Bethlehem. And the manger is casting a shadow, but the shadow that it casts is the cross. Mm-hmm. I think when we get to Christmas, it also pushes against any sort of docetism. I think we mentioned that heresy on the show a couple of weeks ago. But docetism is the idea that the Son of God only seemed to become incarnate. It's kind of trying to safeguard our Lord's divinity. But it's this idea that a human being was adopted as God or that it was sort of like Uh, a a kind of like spiritual Mm -hmm. revelation, but no, he truly came in the flesh. And part of it is that our lady gave birth to him and there's really nothing more like earthy or humanly than, than birth. Now there's all sorts of questions about what that birth was like, you know, and we don't have to get into that today, but it, it really does push against docetism. And then in the rhythm of the church's liturgical life, you really see this in the old cal- calendar, especially, but right after the celebration of Christmas, mm-hmm. you move on to these other sorts of reminders. One is the Holy Innocence. Mm-hmm. So we're rem- reminded that, you know, Herod as a king who was acting against God's will turned against the most innocent of beings and the most vulnerable of, of, of the human race. And then later, eight days after Christmas, you have uh, the Nativity of our, not the Nativity, I'm sorry. What's it, in the, what's it in the new calendar?
1: Oh, uh, the motherhood of God,
0: Mary, mother of God, uh, in the old calendar, the circumcision of Christ. And I think in the new calendar, you, you, you get that idea anyway, if you're paying attention to sort of like the direction that the gospels are taking, but already eight days after his birth, Christ is circumcised according to the law. And some theologians talk about this as like the first shedding of his blood. Now Mm. it's a different kind of shedding of blood than what we see at the cross, but already it goes back to Newman's homily about the submission of our Lord omnipotence and bonds. He submits to the law. He sheds his blood, you know, sort of like we could say like a painful human intervention. I'm using very like kind of you've yeah. terminology there, <laughs> but already like shedding his blood and showing that he's fully particip- participatory in the human experience. It's not this spirit or ghost that floats throughout his life, but he's born to a woman subject to the law, sheds his blood, experiences um, so much of what we do except for sin.
1: No, and I love that callback to omnipotence and bonds. I know we brought that up early in our radio reading roundup with John Henry Newman, just because it was one of your favorites, and now one of my favorite homilies. But that's one I would tell people to return to if they're sitting here right before Christmas and needing some spiritual uh, reading. So this is the Uncommon Good. Bobon and Doctor Bud Mars. stick around. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> back with the uncommon good Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Maher joining you this week thank you for listening to the show and happy very close to Merry Christmas that end of Advent rolling right into Christmas getting a chance to be with you this weekend right beforehand it's wonderful to be with you Bud. to keep on going with some of the things you closed out the last segment first of all and I promise it it will, it will work out and, and match up you were talking about art where people go oh Let's make the shadow literally foreshadow. And funny enough, (laughs) what I always think of that is uh, George Lucas, (laughs) when they did the cover of Star Wars one, the Phantom Menace, they had the little boy Anakin and his shadow (laughs) that he cast was Darth Vader. And so I'm always like, I wonder when that started. I'm with you that you're like, okay, that's a little too easy. Make the
0: shadow foreshadow. You could do a lot of fun things with this. I'm thinking oh, yeah. like what Sooner fans would do with the shadow of Lincoln <laughs> Riley.
1: <laughs> yeah, I better not go into that because it's Christmas and we should stay. And I'm uh, scared charitable. to see what
0: like maybe some Trump supporters would do with his shadow. That's true. They could. I don't know. You could get creative. Maybe for for Christmas this year, like at my family gathering, like the big gathering with my siblings, I'll present different images of celebrity figures and people have to draw their shadow. Oh, man. That like, could be what? a fun exercise. <laughs>
1: We, we've just invented an internet fad. Any, but the point that I'm getting at is, you bring up a really great artistic interpretive point, which is to say, and you know, I think this is present in even the most ancient Christian art, which immediately has to grapple with, like you said, this, this two, two-pronged reality, that Christ himself, as a human, is this strange depiction and i put that in quotes because i'm not trying to say he's not really human but he's the lived out reality of the eternal spiritual god and so that is i mean that's a lot for art to not only have to think through but actually very pregnant way for art in the western world to develop which is to really think about if god himself can so to speak render and again i put that in big quotation marks because i don't want it to sound like i'm saying that Jesus is a hologram or something. But if Jesus renders possible to our sensory to our senses the ability to sort to, to see God and touch God and talk to God, art is trying to do something similar. And so it's it's doubly doing that, right. So it's depicting a reality from the past that's depicting, again yeah. in big quotes, the spiritual reality of the eternal God. And so the idea right that you in art, <clears throat> and particularly when you're visual art, if you're thinking of this, that you would have two discordant or paradoxical mashups. That's sort of something that the West is bequeathed precisely because of the incarnation. So, Bud, you go, it's important to talk about the glory that we should rightfully rile up in our souls for Christmas, but never forgetting the lowliness of the manger of the babe born uh, in a backwater of the Roman Empire, but not let that turn into sentimentality. For me, the guide is actually when we... Adore the Lord in a monstrance. Yeah. I think it's important for people, because I you know I've heard in, who who I have to thank for this point is atheists who mock it, who go, You got a bunch of gold surrounding just a piece of bread. And I'm like, that's exactly it. Right? That's why Christ continues to allow himself to be humiliated in the, the elements of the Eucharist, right? Is so that we can live that paradox and see it with our own senses that a mere piece of what looks like bread, we of course know about the transfiguration of the host, but what looks like bread surrounded by precious metals, that's the mystery of the incarnation and the mystery of Christmas, that we should stoke with all the sort of uh, humble fires of our love for God as much glory and resplendent beauty that we can muster, but always remembering that it's God who decided to become a poor baby is the center of that. And I think, again, the, the, the host in the monstrance is the guiding way to live with those two seeming discordant things at once.
0: This is a fascinating point, and I'd like to stick with this for a few minutes. We didn't plan this direction on the show. <laughs> also, correct me if you think I'm wrong. But, you know, I was thinking about, as you were speaking, that image that I mentioned of the manger casting the shadow of the cross. And I thought like part of the reason why it's never completely like landed or resonated with me, I think part of it is the aesthetics of the painting that I saw. But the other is it's almost too much on the nose or too direct. Mm -hmm. I think back to Tolkien discussing the uh, literature of C.S. Lewis, who was a great friend of his. Like they hung out at the bar, but Tolkien was not a big fan of Lewis's work. And he said the issue with like the Chronicles of Narnia for him was that the allegory was like, too direct, too obvious. So you think about the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. It's like Aslan is a lion. Who's the most majestic creature in the land, but he's betrayed by his friends right. and they bind him and sacrifice him on an altar. And he rises again. Aslan is Jesus. Yeah. You know? He represents Jesus. Whereas with the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien is much more subtle. He and calls there's a
1: subcreation. creation.
0: No. Yeah. 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 Keep going. Sorry. Okay, he's, he's very subtle and there's a texture and a richness there. Now, if you immerse yourself in his trilogy, you'll start to pick up on this symbolism and you'll see some amazing things, but it really takes more work and more time to get into it. You know, St. John Henry Newman talked about the principle of reserve. Mm. We saw this, again, I'm kind of mixing up when we did it chose exactly, but we talked about the glories of Mary, mm. one yep. of his homilies. He says, the amazing thing about Our Lady is that is her hiddenness. And so in her life, like in the Gospels, You don't get a ton of stories that elaborate on the most important person who ever lived after Jesus, right? Even Jesus himself, he comes as a babe in a manger. Yeah,
1: and and Newman, sorry to interrupt real quick, but Newman talked about this, right, with why like the most, uh, how did Newman put it? The most obvious quality that Jesus is a king is that he didn't need to be popular, right? And yeah. he talks about like no king is just always out there that he sends his emissaries and all this. So, yes, the, the the hiddenness in the reserve, sorry, so keep going. That's that's perfect.
0: Newman even gets into church history. He he says that our lady so to speak doesn't assert herself. Right. That the truths about Mary are always revealed when heretical figures question uh, the divinity of Christ or the truth of his incarnation. And right. then this truth about Mary helps to shine a light on who Jesus truly was and is. Absolutely. And so there's this kind of hiddenness, this kind of reserve and Newman builds on that point and says, even in our preaching, we should practice that reserve. You know, in the gospels, there's this phrase that our Lord uses that we can apply in different ways, but he says, don't cast pearls before swine. Mm-hmm. Newman makes the point, And I think the early church really lived this out. That as someone is drawn into the faith and as they see the church and as they see the faithfulness of some Christians, they're intrigued and they want to learn more. You don't, so to speak, just drop all of them, all of the truths, all of the doctrines of the faith on them in one day or in one moment. It's this practice over time. And in the early church, they would really demand, like we talk about RCIA being this preparation for reception, they would demand fasting. They would demand separation from the old ways of life. And then over time, they would slowly bring catechumens into the mysteries of the faith until this culminated in Easter and the great celebration of the vigil.
1: But you have to know where I'm going with this. <laughs> That's right. Marshall McLuhan. Yes. Um, I think to, to the folks out there, we did not plan this. This is the Christmas spirit uh, uh, coursing through our veins. But the the idea that what you need to do to be a good Christian and get people to come to the faith is just you know, dump all of the file downloads about its truth onto whatever medium that people can access. Well, I mean, that really starts with printed press where you're like, oh, we can just, you know, copy this again and again and again and distribute this pamphlet or this book or this collection of books throughout Europe. It's certainly the case when we get into radio TV, I mean like what we're doing now. And then also the digital world, especially with the digital world, it sounds like, well all you need to do, right, to get people to come to the faith is just make sure it's all out there and then people will read it and will come to the faith. But Bud, has that been working? <laughs> no. Like, there is more access to the truths of the faith than there has ever, ever been. More people can read, more access. To Newman's point, though, it's throwing pearls before swine. And I'm not trying to say we should go take down you know, text of the faith. What I'm saying is just strife-bombing people with information about the faith it loses this idea of reserve. People need to be in a place like a conversion, a ground shift needs to happen for these things to matter and deeply trickle down to the roots of their soul. And I think that that's what we're missing out. We think that like if we just cast seed far and wide, I mean, this goes back to the parable of the sower, we shouldn't be surprised that a lot of it lands on rocky ground. Yeah. And so... One of the things I think we've always talked on Iowa Catholic radio that I, I, I love and I think has everything to do with the incarnation of Christmas is we're there when people need us. Yeah. Like people can dog on radio and go like, how many listeners do you really have at any one moment? And you go, well, maybe that's not what radio's there for anymore. But radio is a constant that people have something else in their life happen, bud. And then if they happen upon this, like maybe you're listening right now, listener, that it, it that it's their waiting in reserve, like the babe in the manger in Bethlehem.
0: Yeah, this has really got my wheels turning. When we think about evangelism, you're right. We turn mostly to disseminating literature or even thinking about shows like this one to, you know, sort of shots fired back at us. <laughs> when I think about. Friendly occ-
1: fire. <laughs> yeah.
0: When I think about occasions where I've seen kind of conversions are very like moving instances of people just being kind of like overwhelmed by the beauty of the gospel. I think about something like when we went to church in St. Louis, our church happened to be like in the heart of St. Louis, um, a very struggling neighborhood. And at Corpus Christi, we would do a Eucharistic procession and it was amazing. Like just, uh, having chant and processing around the neighborhood with the blessed sacrament and monstrance, I would see neighbors step out onto their porch and some would be crying, but certainly many intrigued They had maybe never read anything about the faith for years. I don't know. But that just like the visible sort of manifestation of the church's liturgical life in that public space moved them very greatly. I've heard more than a few testimonies about individuals who visited Shark Cathedral and just seeing the rose window and being blown away and reassessing their life in the face of that. We have to think about that hiddenness. We have to think about how God came to us historically, but also in our own lives And think about someone like, I mean, you could mention multiple figures, Mother Teresa. I think about Dorothy Day in the United States. And there are persons who are living their lives and just going about their business and, you know, not really reflective of God's presence. And they come into the presence and they see the witness of someone like Dorothy Day. And it shocks them into kind of seeing the truth of the gospel. Again, you and I, we're not going to poo-poo. Like, we attend conferences. We've published things. We're on this radio show so there is something to be said about the proclamation. But I think that the, the art of the church, her just kind of, I'm, I'm missing the term this morning, maybe like the gratuity and its celebration of the liturgy. Mm-hmm. And then the faithful witness of its poorest members, poor because of the circumstances of life, but entered into this true apostolic poverty. I think those are the sorts of things that have probably like moved more souls to the faith than anything else.
1: I'm also going to throw out there as serendipitous that I misheard you. <laughs> you said poorest, like the people who are most poor, but I heard porous. And on one hand, you can think of silly things about like, oh, water runs through them. But there's actually a way which I think it means the people that don't have hard boundaries, right? They are porous, right? Their, their life and love sort of just leaks out wherever they go. And it's that witness so to def- so shots fired at ourselves, and I think we're right to do so about the constant temptations of thinking, oh well, since we talk on the radio or write books or give talks, we must be doing the real act of faith. And I think there's n- nothing cures that faster than doing it for a while. <laughs> but what I hope anyone who's like in our position, and I hope what you listeners hear from us is this: this has to happen, right? Like there is the intellectual life. The internet is full of information. So after I just said, you know, it's not going to necessarily convert people to put everything up on the website, but it also is the case that that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it because then it's just going to be filled with other stuff. But to even approach intellectual things, but to even approach outward facing things like radio shows, like talks, like videos, the point still has to be the witness of how you do even that. Mm -hmm. So even in an intellectual world, and I think about this in my own academic life, I've heard great information from people that the witness of that person teaching it made it either hollow or a lot harder to really hear. But I've seen people who maybe making simpler points witness to what it means to be part of the intellectual life and that that's what really compelled me to think deeply about things that maybe I don't even necessarily agree with them, but the witness of how they approached in humility thought, intellectual life, academia, made me a different person. I think that's, we're in a very telling moment in Catholicism right now. And it's important because here we are thinking about the incarnation of our Lord. It's not enough just to have the flashiest information and throw it up on whatever mediums available. The witness of how we do it is going to be more than half the whole and I have to admit, I think we're largely failing. And that's not being malicious or mean to anyone. I think a lot of it is like, we don't know what to do. What does it mean, bud, for our witness to look different as we engage modern media? You and I both, and we know all these people, Brett Robinson, all these people we can throw out, that we're really thinking about this. Yeah. But I think it, it has everything to do with Christmas. That when God wanted to give the the most final, important revelation of his love, he did it with Christmas. And do we witness a similar way, a similar, like you said, reserve, like Newman says, that will eventually echo out into the entire
0: world? I think like once every four episodes, I think about that Bernanos quote, <laughs> where he says the church needs poets and not reformers. And he contrasts St. Francis of Assisi with Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. But it's it's all coming back to me again today.
1: Shout out to Brian Sudlow for translating that into English.
0: Yeah, we need to have this sort of detachment about evangelism and when we talk about detachment sometimes we interpret it as like being lazy like well i'm just gonna sit home and watch college football this saturday because god's gonna do the work that's right i might call
1: you up i'm like bud what are you doing like shouldn't we be out like talking about jesus you're like "Ah, i'm detached evangelism
0: you hear me like eating cracker jacks or something (laughs) but but seriously the the goal of evangelism or the mode of it is not to rationally overwhelm someone like we do talk about how it's the holy spirit who reveals truths finally to people. And it's the providence of God at work in people's lives. Now, God does ordain us to be a part of that work, but the job is not like if I finally find that seal tight argument, that's going to like, it's going to take care of the case. And this person will have no other questions. We've missed the boat. Like the figures that we've talked about, St. Francis of Assisi, Mother Teresa, Dorothy Day, you could go on down the line, Catherine of Siena, so many The goal is to become like Christ. The incarnation is ultimately about our own deification. And what I mean by that is if we don't have that kind of detachment about evangelism, the work is going to be about us and we're going to be um, consumed with anxiety about the lack of results Mm -hmm. when really those figures said each day of my life in very small ways, I'm going to become more and more like Christ. And then eventually their lives flowered out into this beautiful witness where I know I'm mixing like three metaphors at this point. They were were like a beautiful Christmas ornament where you see, or a stained glass window Mm. where the light of the day comes and it casts this new light. And that tiny object, which maybe you purchased for $7 at Hobby Lobby, all of a sudden is, is casting this beautiful light across the living room and you're moved by it and it's become a vehicle for something greater.
1: Yeah, and to go full bore here at the very end with Christmas sentimentalism, You know, one of the things that's hilarious, it took me forever. I think I've read it, but would really make it stick in my mind. It was this year that I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not only that, you know, we use evergreen stuff in Christmas decorations because it's green. You're like, oh, of course, it's green. But you're like, oh, yeah, in the midst of winter, Mm -hmm. we're choosing plants that stay green. And so that this is, of course, emblematic of the incarnation. And I'm just like, oh, wow, why didn't I think of that a while ago? But I mean, that's what we do. But we take trees that stand out in the middle of winter. We bring them into our homes. And yes, I know a lot of us have fake trees, but the point still stands. And then you can go two ways of this, right? Like some of you who maybe have a, a high fashion sense, a decorative sense, you make sure that the lights all match and all that stuff like that. Or you do the Bonner way, which is you just let the kids go at it. And it is a menagerie of multiple things and colorful lights. But the point is, the simple thing in the middle that we're able to, so to speak, hang our contributions on. And of course, in a weird way, our contributions will never match the majesty of a tree, just like the idea of like, Mm. how do trees exist? How do they stay green in winter and all these things like this? But here's this dead tree that we drag into our house and we take all of our just sort of The things that we think are pretty or sentimental or maybe they're junk in any of, you know, if you took off the stuff of a tree and just laid it out, a lot of people would be like, this is a lot of junk. But with the memories, with your family, with everything like that, you put that on the tree. And again, I know I'm sounding like Bo Bonner has become Norman Rockwell or something, but there's something about that tree shining in the dark through a light and you walk down the sidewalk and you see all those things. And yes, it's sentimental. But but I think what we're getting at is there's something to that. Yeah. If you're, The witness is really like being that light in those windows. And often it's just going to be glimpses, and sometimes people will not notice it for, because there's so many lights. But you'll never know when someone walking down that sidewalk looks in that window and is spot inspired by that light in the darkness. And I think that's what Christmas is finally telling us, and i hope people get a chance to reflect on that this year. This is the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Budmar wishing you very much a merry christmas, but we'll be back right after this. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Budmar joining you this week. Thank you for listening to the show, whether you do that over the airwaves, at iowacatholicradio.com, the Iowa Catholic Radio app, or to all our wonderful podcast listeners. We want to say Merry Christmas. It's very soon, bud. Or if you're the podcast listener, it is Christmas. Either way, we want to say thank you for being with us, but an entire other year. I was talking about this with my wife. This has been seven years we've been
0: doing this, right? No, that's amazing. That's a blessing. And I loved today's conversation. You know, I think there's something about Christmas that just overwhelms people. I mean, Christmas is amazing, because it's true. God really did come among us, but I feel like if it didn't exist, like human beings would have to invent it. I'm really going to commit myself during Christmas tide, not to be cranky. Mm. Like it's great that our neighbors, regardless of their background, throw up lights during this darkest of seasons. Like you said, we dragged dead trees inside Hey-o. to spruce up the home, spruce, pun, pun intended. <laughs> and then, you know, all the, the nativity scenes and the Christmas carols, regardless of who's singing them, I'm just grateful for it this year.
1: We also showed the trees. Who's boss? No, not <laughs> Listen here, tree. <laughs> We're really worried about you. No, I, I can't uh, agree with you more. It's one of these... It's like you said, people can be bah humbug for a lot of this month, for instance, especially depending if it gets cold and there's no snow. I think that particularly grinds on people. I see a lot of articles about people saying, what are we going to do about, you know, making this time too busy or, you know, getting wrapped up in these things? I do hope, and I think it usually happens, that there's some moment, though, where things quiet down enough and we can say, even the fuss, if we're doing it wrong... There's something at the core of that. Even like you said, if people don't know the reason for the season mm-hmm. or something like this, I just think Christmas, because of its roots in the, the astounding fact of the incarnation, it just can't help but sort of leak into places in our society that don't even mean to allow it to energize uh, yeah. what, the, what we're all feeling now.
0: Well, during Christmas tide, I do think the joyful mysteries hit harder in a, in a profound way. We encourage you to pray with us throughout the year. But as we celebrate our Lord's birth, do join us in praying the rosary. We pray it on air at 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. At 2.55 p.m., we pray the Div- the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. And you can also use the Iowa Catholic Radio app to pray the rosary anytime, anywhere.
1: And we Iowa events, right, we, there's, there's events Iowa Catholic Radio is doing. You can check those out all the time at iowacatholicradio.com and go to the events tab. I think the next one is clear into April, so... I'm guessing checking in in the new year, th- there'll be stuff that's happening sooner, but I think I've caught wind, right? You're, you mm-hmm. will eventually be one of the things that are advertising in the new year, right?
0: Yeah, Deacon Mark caught me in the studio recently and asked if I could speak at a man up. The tentative topic is the Second Vatican Council. So Hey-o. if you've been wanting to dig deeper into what was said at Vatican II, uh, keep on the lookout for that talk. I was in the studio because I was... Blessed and grateful to have a conversation with Bishop Johnson. Oh yeah, there's a it's it's in the air that St. John Henry Newman might in the near future be be named a Doctor of the Church, and so Bishop wanted to talk to me about that. Like I said, I I love any opportunity that I get to speak with our wonderful wonderful Bishop.
1: That's fantastic. The other thing we should throw out right is you and I uh, we've been accepted once again. Um, and how many years in the row oh, is this that we spoke at the the Benedictine College conference that happens in the spring?
0: I, we may have missed a year, but I know it's been at least five gatherings. Yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: that's in March. And Atchinson's not too far. And it's always a great conference. So if you want to join uh, the Bow and Bud train down into
0: Kansas. March 15th and 16th. There you go. Yeah,
1: that's a, uh, So that's something else that's happening that has uh, Iowa Catholic Radio people attached. I'm sure there will be more things coming up. But in some ways, I want to take this time to just say the events that have gone on, the things that we've got to participate in. It's been wonderful. It's been a blessing to do that. Um, but here at the end of the year, please remember donations. I know for a lot of people being able to make a tax write-off donation, it, it matters that it happens in December. No better place to do this than for Iowa Catholic Radio to keep this ministry that is your ministry, not just us on the uh, that you hear on the waves, behind the boards or in the desk. It's yours as well please prayerfully consider here at the end of the year donating to Iowa Catholic Radio. You can do that at iowacatholicradio.com, uh, the app, or you can call 515-223-1150 or text as well. Bud, may you and yours have a very merry, merry Christmas. I feel very blessed that all we've got to do with the radio show this last year and look forward to uh, all good things lining up
0: for the year of 2024. Thank you, and, and back at you, Bo.
1: This is The Uncommon Good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, family, city, state, nation, solar system, galaxy, the whole kitten and commutal. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back next year! <laughs> I hit the wrong button, but that was really great.
0: The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcasts. Just search for The Uncommon Good. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and The Uncommon Good provided by Mercy College of Health Sciences. Learn more at mchs.edu.